Welcome to the Voices in Health Equity podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Shadid. Thanks for joining the Health Equity podcast. This is Andrew Shadid from Genesis Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Today, I have Dr. Kyle Geisler with me. Dr. Geisler is a family medicine physician who received her training at the Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University, and then went on to do a residency in our very own West Suburban Medical Center in Oak Park, just outside Chicago. Uh, Dr. Geisler secured a fellowship in sports medicine from The Ohio State University, and as a result, uh, she now serves at PCC Sports Medicine's clinic on the near west side of Chicago and the Austin neighborhood, uh, and also in Oak Park. Dr. Geisler, uh, prior to joining PCC, uh, served as an AmeriCorps volunteer and she was honored with the NCAFP Blair Leadership Award and the Brody Medical School Class Appreciation Award. She has a passion for wellness and Dr. Geisler has also worked for the Center for Mind Body Medicine in Washington, DC, where she helped whole populations heal from psychological trauma and stress. Outside of medicine, Dr. Geisler enjoys activities. She's a swimmer and she also practices uh, participates in triathlons. Dr. Geisler, we're glad to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Well, uh, quite the bio there. It's You have quite a bit of experience both in healthcare and being active yourself. Tell us a little bit more about you and what you enjoy. Uh, tell us maybe a little bit about these triathlons you're doing. Um, well, since COVID, I haven't been able to do, unfortunately, much of the triathlon side. Um, I still have swam through it uh, for the most part. Um, I've been swimming since I was six. I swam through college, um, and then I'm now part of a master's team. Um, so I uh, kind of see both ends of extremely healthy people at all ages and extremely unhealthy people at all ages. Um, well, swimming... Uh whenever I think about my own personal workouts, I'm always hesitant to get in the water because it's definitely, I think the hardest sport you, you like, you can run a mile with relative ease, but I feel like if you put a non-swimmer in the water <laughs> and ask them to, to do anything, it, it, they quickly realize that it probably is one of the most difficult sports out there. I, um, I'll tell you, it is, it is challenging for sure when you're learning and, and, um, really getting comfortable in the water. But once you have a certain level of comfort, um, you can almost, it's almost like walking. It's just, you can get into this meditative state. Um, and it's, it's great. Cause it's the only place where you can't have your phone on you. You, you, I guess you can play music, but none of us do. Um, it's just you and your thoughts for an hour. Um, so I, I do a lot of processing of my life in that hour in the pool. That's great. That's great. Well, you made your way to Chicago from several places. You spent a little bit of time on the East Coast at Ohio, Ohio State. What brought you to Chicago and why, uh, why have you stayed? I, um, I originally came to Chicago for this AmeriCorps job. Uh, I was fresh out of college. My, my college advisor, the first day of our pre-med meeting said, I encourage all of you to take time off between undergrad and med school. And I I think that is one of the best advice I've ever received in my life. Hmm. Um, and so it, I tossed around Peace Corps versus AmeriCorps. And 
randomly, I also rode in college, my rowing coach is the one that convinced me to look at AmeriCorps. He said, there's enough need in the United States that why do you need to go to a different country? And, um, hmm. and he's been absolutely true. And it, it, that really, um, was a pivotal year in my life, that AmeriCorps year. Um, and I think, you know, hmm. everyone describes their medical education as starting with med school and mine truly started with AmeriCorps. Hmm. Uh, my role was as kind of like a social worker. So any needs that came up in the visit that weren't related to directly to a referral or to a medicine, um, but was just a social issue that, that, uh, was a barrier in, in patients being living a more healthy life. They'd, um, toss our way and see what we can do. And so it was a lot of uh, problem solving. We did most of our time was spent out in the community, in people's home, assessing their needs, figuring out their, their resources that they had available and, and trying to figure out how we could get them there to, uh, whatever the, the provider had recommended or whatever the patient, um, their patient goals were, um, what we could do at, you know, with accessing different, um, grants and community resources that maybe they weren't, um, uh, aware of, you know, and yeah. of course this, I'm dating myself, but this is all before Google was a thing, you know, I think <laughs> we had asked Jeeves at that time. There you go. So a lot of it was just flat out calling around to different communities centers and seeing what they offered and what our patients were, would qualify for. And then we'd hear one thing from one patient and then we thought, oh, okay, we can apply that to these other folks. Um, so it was a really, and it, it was a really fun year. We were nine of us and I think seven of us went into medicine. So we all had wow. a huge passion for, for underserved medicine. Um, wow. Two of my favorite people, you know, practice with access now. So most of us hmm. are in an underserved population area. Yeah. Um, but that's where my training began in, in, uh, in medicine and in health in general. So that, that's a really interesting perspective. You know, most people don't get that level of in-depth view on what, you know, we're talking about now very commonly is social determinants of health. It mm-hmm. sounds like that was something you were exposed to long before medical school. Uh, and, and maybe that's even what led you into medicine. For those of our listeners that might be less experienced with social determinants of health, especially you know learning that from a provider herself, would you share a little bit about your experience? Like, what are these social determinants that might have an impact on patients when we're talking about you know engaging social work? What are the the things that you're finding that your patients might uniquely need in the neighborhoods you serve that might be different than if you're in the loop or if you're, you know, in the gold coast or up North and in certain neighborhoods like Winnetka or Wilmette, what's different about the needs that you see? Um, I think uh, some of the challenges that we see on a daily basis, um, there are so many, um, Certainly violence, you know, that's not a surprise that mm. uh, violence is pervasive in our neighborhood. Um, you know, when I talk about exercising, gyms they can't afford and going outside is not an option. Um, even, I mean, this one of the saddest things I heard a kid tell me, he had just moved to the suburbs in middle school and I moved in middle school and I hated mm. it. It was awful. Having mm. to find a whole new friend group in eighth grade has got to be the worst time. <laughs> Um, and he was so thrilled with it. And I was like, really, what is the best thing about 
living out there. And he's like, I can go to the basketball court with my friends. Hmm. I mean, that's just something that was not available um, Hmm. to him before that. So certainly access to, to safe areas where they can exercise and just the trauma of being in an area that's constantly violent. So almost everyone has lost an immediate family member to violence Hmm. um, or has seen or heard something on their block or know somebody very personal to them. Um, When Hmm. I'm going through family history and and kids, many of my patients have lost a child to violence. Hmm. Um, So it's just remarkable how many people are affected by that. And then of course we don't have access to much mental health. Um, We have our own behavioral health counselors that are just really overwhelmed with um, the amount of referrals I think they get on a daily basis. Um, And it's, um, you know, so violence I think is one of the the hardest things that I see. Um, But other things that that are tough, lack of access to um, healthy foods, you know, there's Mm. corner stores are a dime a dozen and a bag of Doritos is a buck. Um, and that's about the same price as an apple. So of course Mm. they're going to buy the Doritos and, and in the Austin neighborhood. So I live in Logan square, which is five miles from here. Yep. And between here and there, there's one grocery store, only one, Mm. I guess Mm. two, if you count Aldi's, which is where I shop. (laughs) So we got a food for less than an Aldi's and that's it. Mm. Um, so no major Brent is awesome. You know, Jewel is not in here. Marion, none of those are around here. Um, and so talking about healthy foods. And then when we had the riots last, not a couple summers ago, 20, the 2020 riots, they actually shut down the only grocery store in, in uh, Chicago. So I had gestational, a gestational diabetic who couldn't get healthy food for her pregnancy and, oh, you know, wow. regular diabetics that could only eat carbs that are available at the corner store. Cause one grocery store was shut down for I think, several weeks. Um, wow. So and I think that, we, we often don't realize that just, you know, grocery store, you know, five miles might be common in some places in our country, but in a densely populated place like the city that, that for someone without a car that could take, you know, an hour to get to yeah. potentially if depending right. on where you live. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And then when you try and get on a bus with 40 grocery bags, it's just so impractical, Yeah, you know, with you yeah. yourself and a lot of folks deal with chronic pain or have MSK issues as you guys know. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's, that's a huge barrier. And like you mentioned, transportation is something we take for granted. So we say, Oh, you know, physical therapy is only three miles away in Oak park, but there's no buses that go there. Yeah. So I can't get them there. Yeah. Um, we talk uh, so a lot was, about, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about how, you know, healthy eating is really important for the human body, especially the musculoskeletal system. And it sounds like, you know, when patients can't get healthy food, you know, you have things like obesity that are more prevalent, things like Mm -hmm. diabetes that are more prevalent that might impact someone's ability to even to, to stay active over time. Uh, I'm sure you see that type of of thing all the time. Are there any other, you know, areas that you see that impact? (laughs) Um, you know, I see, I see the effects of systemic racism, obviously on a, on a Mm. pretty regular basis. It's, um, it's really tough for our patients to get a good education as a kid. So then of course they aren't set up for success by, um, not really having access to higher education. 
No one's ever taught them how to put together CV. So they're, they're limited in getting minimum wage jobs that are uh, physically exhausting um, and, you know, and, and cause many injuries. So those are, I see mm-hmm. often injuries from just really tough jobs for hmm. many years. Um, I think the pollution, t- you know, plays a huge role. I don't, I don't, um, I can't see pollution, but I know so many of my patients have asthma or C- and COPD, um, and have a lot of uncontrolled asthma, despite being on multiple inhalers. Um, you know, poverty in general is, is just a huge determinant of, um, of that health, aside from everything else we talked about, you know, they show it as an independent respecter in, in studies and I believe it. Um, I think I could put the same person through the same things from gold coast and from here and, and my patients die younger. I mean, the, the COVID virus, mm. I think proved that, that we've mm. got the same treatments as Northwestern, which unfortunately isn't much. Um, sure. we do what we can, you know, we get what the government comes up with and thankfully they've come up with some good things, but at the end of the day, it's just oxygen yeah. and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and still our people die at, har- at higher rates and, um, it's just, it was, it was really tough on our residency over the last several years dealing with that. Um, you know, it's just, it's been really tough losing patients yeah. in general. Sometimes I think, you know, we, we in the healthcare community don't always recognize how difficult it can be to manage the myriad of concerns that you might, you know, have that, that come into your clinic, things that Mm -hmm. aren't just uh, hurting shoulder or hurting knee, Mm -hmm. but there's emotional, you know, weight there as well. There's, uh, you know, the mental health element that you had just mentioned. There's, the general wellness piece and, you know, you're practicing to some degree sports medicine and in the musculoskeletal system, but you also, because of your continued practice in family medicine, but also as, you know, a, a primary care provider also really focus on, on many of these other elements. It, it can't be easy to have every patient that comes in to see you, you know, be someone where you're almost having to prioritize what is it that's most, you know, that's, what's the real reason you're here today? What's the chief complaint? Cause it sounds like you could, most patients, there's three, four or five things that you could always be talking about that are really important to their overall wellness. Right. Right. And, and, you know, I think a lot of things come out as pain and so mm-hmm. they're referred to me for back pain but they've had back pain for 30 years. And then you dig Hmm. back 30 years ago and they lost maybe their child at that time Hmm. and gained a ton of weight around that in, you know, time and maybe gotten a car accident or had a work injury that was improperly addressed. And so when I say let's do physical therapy, that's just not, you know, it's not going to be sufficient for Hmm. a lot of my patients. It is having to dig down and see, you know, where's a lot of, um, a lot, there's a lot of anxiety and, you know, and a lot of trauma that goes hmm. into what I see and trying to figure out how do we address that without discounting their current pain. You know, I don't want to say, Oh, it's your depression hmm. or your anxiety causing your pain. Cause obviously that's hmm. not something they, most people are liking to hear. Yeah. 
there's a, I mean, I fully resonate with your philosophy. You know, our, our practice certainly does, but personally, I uh, have a little mysticism in myself and realize that we are interconnected beings. If, you know, it doesn't take reading a whole lot of science, a whole lot of, you know, uh, physicists that have done these studies where you start to recognize that we have so many interconnected moments, how our nervous system connects with our musculoskeletal system and connects with our mental system and right. uh, how they all impact each other. And uh, you see that, you know, firsthand every day, but now we're oh. talking about social elements as well, which mm-hmm. even, uh, you know, complicate so many the layers further. <laughs> exactly. Right. right. And a lot of you... times, you know, it's just like peeling back an onion. So you just do one layer at a time and it first just requires trust, which you don't do in one visit. Yeah. Um, so a lot of my patients, I just have them come back once a month and we talk hmm. about just a little piece at a time. Hmm. And then over six months, they have now gained their trust. And now we can peel back the second layer of hmm. well, maybe it's this, how do we start addressing this? Hmm. Um, so that's, I, you know, I, I love being a family doctor cause I can, and, and being a primary care sports medicine. Cause I, I do have a lot of my patients that, probably 20% of them I've known for over five years for the chronic pain. Wow. Um, But it's, you know, I, yeah, it's just, um, but I do feel like, you know, I am, I'm proud of the, the organization I work with. um, And I, and I love that I have that extra training in, in sports medicine um, because it allows me to, to refocus uh, treatment options, you know, for so yeah. long, we didn't have Medicaid as an option for many, most of our patients. And so when mm-hmm. I was in training, I couldn't get an MRI for shoulder pain. I couldn't send them to mm-hmm. a surgeon to fix a rotator cuff. All we had were medicines and all we had a lot of time that was affordable was Norco. It's mm-hmm. unfortunately very affordable. So that's, I think a lot of our fortune, our epidemic we created just, yeah. we had no other options. They would go to the emergency yeah. room every three months and get another 30 Norco to last them. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, so a lot of it is kind of refocus. How do we treat your pain? How can we treat your addiction? You know, how can we get you back to work? Cause that's most of the time everyone's goal. Yeah. Um, yeah. It- wow. I, you know, you, you mentioned so many things about kind of how social determinants have played a role in the patients that you serve, you know, some of the stories that you've mentioned, of patients, this, you know, eighth grader who can finally just get to the basketball court and play with his friends and not have to be scared of, you know, and and have other friends that are willing to come out there themselves, whose Mm -hmm. parents feel comfortable. And I mean, there's so much there. Uh, The, you know, the last question that I have for you is, is a healthcare provider, Mm -hmm. a physician, uh, one who's helping lead the healthcare system, uh, and you know other providers that work alongside you and our in our care teams, a lot of burden is being placed on on healthcare providers to engage with social determinants of health. And you've mentioned all the ways in which you know your your uh, world revolves around that. And you know that's not necessarily what everyone went to medical school for. And you know it's not why you took basic biology, you know, or took anatomy necessarily um, in those days, but it is something that, that it seems like healthcare providers are carrying a disproportionate, you know, portion of that burden uh, of, of engaging with 
the totality of patient needs. Tell us a little bit more, like how do you, how would you encourage your colleagues to engage? I don't even, won't even bother asking whether you think that they should or not, because I think I, I know your opinion on that, but how would you encourage colleagues that might not maybe be at a place like PCC or access uh, to engage with, with these elements from their you know, perspective and vantage points? Um, you know, I, I think there's a, a couple things. Certainly, no matter where you practice, whether you're in the fanciest boutique practice or on the West Side with us, um, everyone's you know, social background plays a role in their current health. So I think the first thing is just listening to your patients. And it's um, so cliche to say that. And I think very overly simplified, but um, so often they say something and then they'll mention something really tiny Hmm. and then they'll go back to what they were saying. Um, So for example, I had somebody today who has seen me every three weeks because her legs are still swollen and she's terrified about it. And I, I can't understand why she's so terrified. Her legs are swollen, you know, over the summer they were swollen because it was, you know, hot and just people's veins dilate and that's what happens. And then now that's going to be, you know, um, changing to the season. She's still having swelling. So she's concerned it's not going away. And I think it's because of her alcohol use. Um, but today she just revealed that her brother had his foot amputated and it, it mm. kills me. I've been seeing her for three months and she hasn't mentioned that yet. Um, mm. but that was truly her fear. Uh, it, and I don't even know that she was able to verbalize it. She just mentioned that casually in the visit today. Mm. I said, well, are you worried about your foot cutting off? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> look how swollen it is. Um, so a lot of times it is, it's not going to happen on the first visit. Um, and they'll, they'll be saying, you know, it's my back pain, it's my back pain, it's my back pain. And then later on, they'll reveal, oh, well, maybe it's because of this. Like, well, you got it. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, so that's the first thing. And then, so that's on a very patient level. Um, and then on the system level, then I would always encourage everyone to accept as many insurances as possible. Hmm. Um, I think that has been, um, you know, it's tough within our medical system that we have a private and a public system. Hmm. And unfortunately our public system doesn't pay much. So I understand the finances of not being able to accept many public options. Um, but it, it puts a tough burden on a very few clinics when not many people accept, um, public options, you know, and, and, um, it, you know, and I think it's interesting being in the Chicago, we have so many big systems, mm. um, and it, one that is literally what a mile away or two miles away from our clinic in, in Melrose doesn't take 90% of our patients, public options, and they're a Jesuit mm. hospital. Mm. So that just, um, it concerns me, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, in that system, it's, it's a big system. So I can't imagine a single colleague is going to be able to change that. But, um, but I think if all the providers were on board with, with being able to treat their community and not just a certain collection of their community, I think that would help the system go a long way. Certainly. And then I think on a policy level, um, physicians being involved is super important on a policy level. 
Um, mm. We have an active national organization that does uh, policy um, work on, on behalf of family medicine, on behalf of community clinics, on behalf of basically every organization that there is. Um, so just becoming involved with your national organization and steering that policy towards um, changing. I think if we could just change our payer system, you know, it follows the money. So if you, we can change how we reimburse for things, um, I think a lot would change. I think yeah. greater, it certainly would help with greater access. Um, so those are the three ways I would encourage my colleagues to, um, to, to be aware of those social determinants and, and um, provide care uh, within those, those um, you know, boundaries. Well, and that's great feedback. I think those three ways, you know, hit hit on uh, how do you handle an individual patient visit? How do you, as a physician, uh, engage politically and in, in the world? And as a non-physician, if you're a medical student, you know, here listening, or if you're an administrator, they have roles to play as well as the next generation or those who are leading large organizations. And and then really the driving theme is, you know, see everyone as human and find a way to engage with all uh, to the best of your abilities. And what we've done, you're right, is we bifurcated our, our markets based on insurance plans and assigned group, groups of people, different values, economic value to our business entity. And you know, you're a smart individual and, and probably took economics at some point, you know, we realize that there are economic constraints. There are, uh, is an economic reality, but at the same time, you know, we also have a social reality where care access is, is not equal today. And, uh, you know, at some point we do need to, to see, you know, where, where the C splits and, and we are having to choose to, to go left or go right and pursue economics or pursue equity. And uh, it's a great challenge to those of us, again, administrators like myself, up and coming physicians, those currently in practice to see how can you, how can you avoid this bifurcation, this road that the world wants, you know, to, to, force you left or force you right and really find a, a path down the middle that says, you know what, economics are important. We need to continue to operate tomorrow. But at the same time, we need to follow our values. And, and every physician I know got into it because they, they wanted to help people do well and didn't matter their race, their creed, their socioeconomic status. They wanted to see people do well. And, uh, we have a role to play, all of us, and and helping carry that out into the future. So great challenges. We're so thankful for you, Dr. Geisler, for joining us. Thanks for your wisdom, for your stories, uh, for the service that that you offer on a day to day basis uh, at PCC. Thank you for sharing of the mission of PCC. That's an inspiration to all of us, and and the way that you've chosen an element of sacrifice to to help others and to put others first. So we'll continue to track your story. Hope to have you on our podcast again uh, and get some updates at some point in the future, but really appreciate you. Uh, we'll continue to, to keep you in our thoughts and, and continue to uh, 
hopefully empower you to, to keep doing good work on the west side of Chicago. Thanks. And right back at you guys. We've just been so fortunate to have you as part of our network. Um, it's been wonderful for our patients. Awesome. Well, here's to doing it together. So <laughs> absolutely. Have a great day, everyone.